Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 23. For the last time in some time, Psalm 23. As a boy, I remember vividly going to the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting with my parents. Many of you know my dad, who's preached here a couple of times. He was a pastor. We would meet my grandparents there. My grandpa served with the International Mission Board. And um, I enjoyed getting to meet pastors and missionaries from all over the world. Full disclosure, my, my greatest memory of going to the Southern Baptist Convention was the hotel pools. <laughs> but I liked the other stuff, too. Uh, this week... Some of our staff and I had the privilege of representing the trails at our annual meeting where we joined with over 16,000 other Baptist messengers from around our nation. For those of you who have never been to an annual meeting, it's like a two-day long business meeting. What's, I hear your joys rising as I talk about it uh, with, with preaching and singing sprinkled in to try to sanitize everything. It's basically the world's uh, largest dysfunctional family reunion, <laughs> and I am thankful to be a part. So last year, uh, it was canceled due to COVID, and, um, and so this year coming again, I was eager to see brothers and sisters that I hadn't seen in a long time, uh, people that we have the privilege of partnering with uh, as a denomination, and it was so good to hear how God is at work in sister churches of ours. Uh, from Georgia to Colorado. The highlight of the convention was the opportunity, and this is true every year, the opportunity to commission new missionaries being sent into the mission field. And Monday night of this week, we got to commission, and guys, we're a part of this, we commissioned 64 new missionaries to the mission field all over the world. And I was so Thankful to be in the room to see that happen. What a joy that is. It was also the first conference that I've attended where I would normally expect to see my friend John Powell. John and I met at Southern Seminary uh, 10 years ago in, when he worked in the admissions department. After graduation, he first pastored a rural church in West Texas. He was the cowboy preacher. And following that, he planted a church in New Caney, which is a suburb of, of Houston. And as we were getting ready to plant the trails, John was a source of encouragement and wisdom to me. Uh, they were a year ahead of us in the planting process, and I had a lot of questions. John was always available to answer uh, my questions. On July the 18th of 2020, John was on his way home from work and saw a woman pulled over to the side of the road. And uh, if you knew him, you would know he would absolutely stop. And as he stopped and pulled over to the side there to assist her, an 18-wheeler came by and hit John. And he died instantly. I heard the news of his death right before walking into a membership class. I was floored. His church was devastated. His wife, Catherine, and their four small children were heartbroken uh, it was good just to hug friends that are still grieving the loss of our mutual friend, John. He was a mountain of a man. This week, I got to see Catherine, his wife, and just, I mean, you know how I get when I get choked up. It's just hard to talk at all, but as best I could, I just told her I'm so sorry for her loss, and what an encouragement she's been to trust in Christ and walk through this kind of um, valley of the shadow of death. Um, I miss John. 
I was reminded this week how thankful I was to know him. And, uh, and in a new sense, longed for the days of no more goodbyes. You know that day's coming? The day of no more goodbyes. John Wesley was once asked what, is the, what would contribute to the success that they had seen in the Methodist movement. And one of the reasons he gave for its impact was this. He said, our people die well. Our people die well. What he meant is that they died full of faith and hope that this life is not the end, but they could sing in the face of death, made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. As I was meditating on our passage this week and thinking about John's life, I thought John Powell died well. He died well. I don't know why the Lord took this brother at such a young age with a young family and a young church, but this is what I do know. John knew and loved Jesus Christ. We're looking to look at a text today that says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I think... um, What we're looking at on this side of the grave, John knows in fullness today, the the goodness and mercy of the Lord. And so as we reach the end of Psalm 23, it's going to call our attention to the end of life and even beyond the grave. That's what we're looking at here in Psalm 23, 6. And I want to ask you the question, will you live and die knowing the goodness and mercy of Christ. Is that true of you? Will you both live and die knowing the goodness and mercy of Christ? There's no more beloved, comprehensive picture of God's relationship with His people than the Lord as our shepherd. And as we've journeyed through these verses, we have, I pray, grown in our understanding of who our God is and what that means for us as the people of his pasture. The 23rd Psalm ends where it also began by singing of the comprehensive care of the good shepherd. Here, his goodness and mercy are promised to be the ever-present reality that we know all the days of our life. So my prayer is simply that we would experience God in his word this morning and revel together in the promises and the care of our God. Perhaps today even, someone might come to know the good shepherd through repentance and faith. There are two remarkable benefits that belong to us because of Christ found in verse 6. First, the pursuit of our shepherd And second, the promise of our shepherd. So that's where we're headed. Uh, The pursuit of our shepherd and the promise of our shepherd. We'll read the entire chapter and then circle our attention simply today on verse 6. Now we typically stand for the reading of God's word. And then we project the text being preached that day on these side screens. And so if this is your first time here with us, that's normally what we do. But not today. See, for the last four weeks through Psalm 23, we've been challenging one another to commit this text to memory. And so welcome to church as a pop quiz on your first day. (laughs) Now, we don't want you to feel any, there's no guilt here, so you can read freely from your own copy of Scripture. 
Um, but for those of us who uh, have had time to spend time with this text, we worked on it with some of our kids, and I won't tell you which one of them doesn't have it memorized, but his initials are Canon Boswell. <laughs> that little fella. Uh, so, let me invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet as we recite and or read from this beloved chapter of God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely, goodness, my cup overflows. <laughs> Starting with surely. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? Come on, Boswell. The first benefit of God's pastoral care of our lives is the pursuit of our shepherd. Verse 6 begins with the word, surely. David is thoroughly convinced about what he's about to say. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy are not words that David is using to fill up the line in a poem. These are great realities that had filled up his heart. Goodness is a massive biblical concept. One, we know that God is the God of goodness, the very definition of goodness. It's who He is by His character and by His nature. And He's also the source of all the good that He showers upon His people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, blessings both intangible and tangible. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. So we're right to say that God is good, and to follow every good blessing in our lives back to our good God. He is the God of goodness. And second, we see His mercy. Mercy is the Hebrew word that we first studied in um, our journey through the book of Ruth, and now throughout the Psalms, this is the Hebrew word chesed. You have to have a license to use that guttural sound there. The Hebrew word chesed. This word can be translated many ways, but my favorite is the old English word seen in the King James Version, loving kindness. What a wonderfully comprehensive, beautiful word. God's loving kindness. That carries the idea of his faithful love in action. One lexicon defines it like this. The word loving kindness, said, communicates God's persistent and unconditional tenderness 
kindness, and mercy, a relationship in which God pursues his people with his goodness and love. God pursues his people. What David is getting at is that God's goodness and mercy are pursuing him. There's action, personification given to God's activity in the life of his people. They shall follow me. The word for follow is found more than 150 times in the Old Testament. It can be translated in many different ways. Pursued, chased, even hunted. And we know David was a man who had been hunted throughout his life. The idea is that everywhere God's people go, that his goodness and love accompany them on their way. One scholar says that goodness and mercy, they act like the shepherd's sheepdogs, helping the shepherd to keep the sheep going in the right direction. Goodness and mercy, the shepherd's attending sheepdogs. I think that's a very helpful metaphor. The heart of this expression, shall follow me, really is evidence of David's deep trust that he knows God was not taking any days off in pursuing him. And that is a promise. When's the last time you thought about how God has pursued you throughout your life? We often think about our relationship with God as us pursuing him. Guys, that's only possible because God is pursuing us. He is the pursuing God. There's not a moment of your life that God's goodness and tender care have not been in hot pursuit of you. His passion is for his people. And his passion does not ebb and flow like the tide of the ocean. It is a constant pour of goodness. It is a steady stream that cannot be quenched. Many waters cannot quench your love. Neither can floods drown it out. Song of Songs 8-7. And isn't this true of how you have known God's constant care in your life? There are two words of application that I want to offer us with this point of the pursuit of our shepherd. They're simply this. Rehearse and, and rely. Rehearse and rely. First, what I mean by rehearse is to practice over and over and over how you've seen God's covenantal faithfulness in your life and allowing that reality to provoke and produce worship in your heart. That's what I mean by rehearse. So I had the opportunity to do this uh, over these last few days. I've experienced God's pursuing love in my life, and I've just been thinking about it. So as you read Psalm 23, doesn't your mind rehearse how God's pursued you with his goodness and mercy? In verse 1, we remember the way that God has pursued relationship with us in such an intimate way, such a near way that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd in verse 2, we recall how we have enjoyed all the days of our life the provision of our shepherd. As we think about how generously God has provided for us, all we have needed his hand hath provided. 
In verse 3, we reflect on the restoration of our shepherd, how Christ restores our souls, leading us, pursuing us, that our hearts might walk in continual repentance and trust in him. In verse 4, we find the sure presence of our shepherd, even in the valley of the shadow of death and every other circumstance that we may walk through, Christ's nearness is our good. In verse 5, we marvel at the care of the shepherd who lavishly prepares a table before us in the presence of my enemies, anointing our head with oil, our cup overflowing, even when we forget like I did earlier. Our lives overflowing with his goodness. With every step on this journey through life, as the people of his pasture, we are reminded how his goodness and mercy fill our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, as we rehearse this psalm, this is not just reading the account of a shepherd king from long ago. This is for us Psalm 23 is for us to sing. It's our song. And the pronoun that unlocks all the sweetness of Psalm 23 is the word my. My is the word that unlocks all of its richness. The Lord is my shepherd. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. So Psalm 23 is given to all the people of God through the ages. And it is given to us personally. There are 28 first-person pronouns in this little text. And so let us rehearse this morning God's goodness and loving kindness toward us, how he has pursued us, gone before us and behind us and side by side and hemmed us in on all sides. Rehearse that. And then continue as you look into the future to rely upon the comprehensive care of our shepherd. He is the Lord. He does not change. He is the same from eternity past to eternity future. He who has been our shepherd will be our shepherd. So let's be a people who rehearse and rely upon the provision and the pursuit of our shepherd. And so through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever. And with that thought, we transition to the final truth that I want to press into our hearts this morning and through our study of Psalm 23 as we look at the promise of our shepherd. In these last few moments, we'll send our thoughts toward the words, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord was first the, the title of the tabernacle, where God's presence would dwell with his people. Later, it became known the house of the Lord was the name for the temple, where God again would dwell among his people. We'll see in just a few weeks, when we arrive at Psalm 27, David longs to live in the house of the Lord forever. The problem is, people didn't live in the actual house of the Lord. So what's he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is knowing the presence of God. He wants to know the nearness of the Lord all the days of his life and to enjoy God. William Plummer explains it like this. The house of God was understood by his people from early times 
is a house not made with hands. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. Those who heard him doubtless understood him as speaking of heaven. So that this last clause of verse 6 points not only to great blessings arising from communion with God on earth, but to the still higher, richer enjoyments of those who worship in the sanctuary above. David is in the already of knowing the presence of God in his life, but he's still not at the not yet part of knowing in full the measure of God's presence and how he longs for that. The enjoyment that David has in God in saying the Lord is my shepherd is a foretaste of the greater enjoyment still to come that he will experience in the life after. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is another way of saying surely I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. And this is the prize of heaven. Not the things of this earth that come and go, but the, pre- the, the prize and the treasure of Christ who we will have for eternity. This is what we look forward to with hope. The presence of our Savior. And so as we reach the end of this exploration of Psalm 23, I I told the band in our meeting before the service, I I feel like we're just getting started here. I woke up sad to be done with Psalm 23 this morning, and I hope we're not done with it. But I want us to sit down for a minute and take a look at the landscape around it. What happens before and after Psalm 23? You see, for us to understand it in some sense is to look at where it sits in the book of Psalms. You see, this collection of songs was collected and then arranged in a very intentional way. And there are strong links between certain songs. Um, It's kind of like consecutive songs on an album. Like if you're listening to this playlist, how an author intended it, an artist intended it, one song leads to the next. And that's exactly what we see here with Psalms 22, 23, and 24. These are like three consecutive songs on an album prophetically telling of the story of the Savior to come. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm that tells us how the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. It contains the very words of Christ upon the cross as he suffered in our place. Psalm 23 points to Christ, the good shepherd who lives to care for his flock. Psalm 24 points to the day of Christ's return where he will come again in glory. Psalm 22 shows the passion of Christ on Mount Calvary. Psalm 24 points to the future glorious return of Christ on Mount Zion. And between them, where we live now, is the green pastures, still waters, still the valleys of Psalm 23, where Christ is leading, providing for, protecting, caring for, shepherding us as his people. This is where we live right now. Between the work of Psalm 22, where Christ has died for our sins, and the not yet of Psalm 24, where the King of glory will soon return. And every day of our lives here is marked by the steadfast, comprehensive keep of the Good Shepherd. But not all of us. You see, these promises are only true in and through Christ. And so I must come again to the question I asked earlier, will you live and die 
knowing the goodness and mercy of Christ. Let me say it a different way. Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? And if not, what keeps you from him? Your wants are great, and more than anything or person or experience can satisfy. Your soul does not know the green pastures of God's presence. And even as you walk through the valleys of this life, you have no comfort. And the reason is, is you're not yet one of Christ's sheep. But Jesus says, and hear him today call to you from John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And right there, we're back to Psalm 23.1. Like my friend John, we do not know when our last breath will be. So I stand as a messenger of Christ this morning to warn, to welcome all who are still outside of God's people. Let today be the day of salvation. Repent of your sins. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will welcome you warmly. And for all of us who are in Christ, the words, the Lord is my shepherd, hang like a banner over your life. And so my prayer is they would hang like a banner over our thoughts because this is a psalm for the Christian life. It's a psalm for today. Notice all the verb tenses. Every verb in Psalm 23 is in the present tense. The Lord is. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. And then the transition. You are. You prepare. You anoint. All of the verbs in Psalm 23 are in the present tense until the last verse. And then all of the right nowness of Psalm 23 cast its gaze into the future and says, You shall, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What that tells us is the one who is our shepherd will be our shepherd forevermore. Guys, this is a promise from God to us as his people. He will be our shepherd. He will not change or hold back from his goodness and steadfast love toward you. One hymn writer said this, Surely thy sweet and wondrous love shall measure all my days, and as it never shall remove, so neither shall my praise. And that's where we end, with our hearts overflowing with worship to the Lord for who he is, for what he has done. I told you when we set out this course that I would be quoting from different poets and different writers throughout church history to help articulate Psalm 23. We, we, we live in this great tradition of people who've wanted to put this in our own language. Many of you have known Sally Lloyd-Jones from her book, uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible. Any of you kids remember growing up reading Jesus Storybook Bible? Do you have a copy of it in your house right now? Perfect. If you don't, I'll give you one for free. Just see me after church. I'll see you how to make that possible. Um, Sally wrote a poem on Psalm 23. It was published a few years ago. It's a book entitled Found. And um, I found it. 
on Amazon and, um, and had it shipped to my house a few weeks ago. I've just been looking for the right time to read the book that she wrote, and uh, I feel like this is the right time. I love the childlike simplicity that she writes with. This is what she says. God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me. He guides me. He looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside, my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me. Everything I've ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness, I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. I've put her book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, into the hands of grown men and women to help us see the big story of Scripture and how every story whispers the name of Jesus Christ. Some of us have been looking at Psalm 23 for so long, it's become familiar and we've outgrown our need for it. Or at least we think. And so today, I wonder who that might be. That we might once again come to Psalm 23 with childlike simplicity and wonder and know the care of God in a real, personal way. What traveling companions you've been over this last month through Psalm 23. I am grateful to the Lord uh, for this time. My heart has been struck again with the reality of who our God is and how he has condescended out of such great love toward us. How he loves and leads us, protects and feeds us. He shepherds us. And in the mirror of this passage, I've seen... um, many ways that I need the watchful care of Christ. Guys, I need to be reminded of this again and again, and I bet you do too. And so my prayer is as we close Psalm 23, at least for the time being, that it would still work its way through our hearts and be quoted and sung and treasured in our homes as we seek to follow the good shepherd who is pursuing us who has promised himself to us, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the way that you pursued us in our sin, wandering sheep who were lost, and out of your love and compassion toward us, hunted us down, pursuing us, finding us, throwing us across your shoulders and bringing us to life everlasting. Comfort your flock today with your word. 
Let us hear your words again. Fear not, little flock. As we rely upon you, as we rehearse your goodness and steadfast love toward us. And let us be a people who look to your promises that are yes and amen to us in Jesus Christ. And let us live in the good of them. As we treasure you and trust you, we ask in Christ's name.